If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, John 20 as we get to the resurrection. You know, in, in lots of, uh, and, and we're that way too, I guess, in lots of denominations, lots of churches, you have a kind of a liturgical year. And we'll have that we'll, we'll, when we get to uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, uh, and, and Easter. We'll kind of look at these things in, in, in a different way. But when you preach through a whole book, as you can see, we're in part 39. So, yeah, I didn't know when this would end, but it's getting pretty close to Easter. So it's kinda, I, I think it's going to, I think it will be kind of interesting to kind of look at it through John's eyes, and then we're going to look at it through Luke's eyes uh, when we get to Holy Week. So chapter 20, verses 1 through 10 to start off here. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. To kind of go back and remind you in chapter 19, remember those two leaders uh, of the Jews, both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, had come and taken Jesus' body and laid it into this new tomb. So that's the tomb that Mary is going to. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their own homes." So this is John's version of this. As we have said before, you know, if you really want to get a full view, you kind of got to look at all four. And that's the way uh, God decided to, to give it to us, to get the fullest view. But it's always interesting. You do this all the time when you look at Scripture, but, you know, you kind of want to get into the emotions of the people who are going through it. You know, we do that uh, when the productions that we have done. Uh, you try to, what was Mary Magdalene uh, dealing with here? What was... John and, and Peter dealing with. You try to understand it from that. But if you look at all four, uh, along with the, the book of Acts, uh, we get a lot of uh, gospel data about what we, I call post-mortem resurrection appearances. And that we, we get 12 of these, five of them in the first day. And all these verses we're going to look at today is just going to focus on one. We'll get a, a couple more uh, next week. John doesn't have them all. Uh, there's 12 of them, if you kind of piece together the different ways the timeline works out from all of the Gospels. And again, we think, well, why didn't they just put them all together? And I say, I think, obviously, God knew what he was doing, and he gave us four for us to look at it from different perspectives and understand it maybe even a little better. Uh, one of the things you have to realize here is up to this point, we have not had anybody see the risen Jesus, right? All they've seen is an empty tomb, which obviously can have multiple uh, reasons for that being the case. And, and we even see that today. You, you get a lot of uh, things around Easter where people have different theories. This has gone on for centuries of w why the tomb was empty. Uh, what's sometimes interesting, and, and you, you always want to 
I think, try to uh, assume people have good motives, but a lot of times uh, skeptics come to that with the assumption that supernatural things can't happen. Well, you know, it doesn't take uh, somebody that can memorize pi to 10 decimals to figure out that you're probably not going to get resurrection on your list if you're going to exclude all supernatural events. In fact, if you're not going to believe in something supernatural, the Bible itself is probably not going to be that helpful to you. Uh, so, again, we can have those discussions. Uh, there's different theories. You know, you, there's the swoon theory that came out in the 17th, eight, six, 1700s, 18th century, where Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of swooned and then kind of woke up in the tomb. There's the twin theory. You've probably heard of that. Jesus had a twin, uh, and the twin died. Uh, there's the Judas theory that Judas was the one that... That's actually the, the Muslim view. I don't know if you knew that, but the, the, the main view from Islam is that uh, God, you know, because they don't have any trouble believing in supernatural things, God made Judas look like Jesus. And then, you know, and again, uh, the first one's probably not possible. The second one's possible, but you think somebody would have mentioned he had a twin. Um, you know, and, and the last one is like, you know, all these are just, it's like, I suppose God could do that, but is that, you know, well, how do we know what's true? Well, I guess it really comes down to how much you think the Bible's authoritative. <laughs> it's not a hard, if you read through these gospel accounts, it's not like, well, I wonder what happened to Jesus. You know, this isn't hard. Uh, again, and we'll get to that next week, they're written for us to believe. Whether we believe them or not is really up to us, right? You know, nobody's, this is my free country, you can believe in what you want. But what does the scripture say? And then you have to, does it make sense? So all we have here is what we call evidence for the empty tomb. That's not a question that it was empty. Everybody knew it was empty. And, but why was it empty? He's not in there. Verses 1 through 3 here focus on Mary Magdalene. Uh, but her comment to Peter and John is telling, right? We do not know where they have laid him. You know, it kind of gives us a little bit of where she, what she was thinking, right? You know, obviously resurrection is not on her radar probably at this point. We get this, if you remember when we go back to John 11, you have Mary there, and Martha is the one that's kind of dealing with Lazarus' death a little bit better than her, her sister Mary, and both of them trouble. But in that conversation that Jesus has with Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And she says, well, I know, Lord, that those who believe in you will be resurrected at the last day. That was the Jewish belief. Well, a Pharisaic and, and, and an Old Testament view that at the last day, Isaiah 65 stuff, that the, the, the righteous that believe in Yahweh would be resurrected, but there wasn't any real belief that we see in the historical documents, including the way they interpreted the Old Testament, that one individual person was going to be resurrected before this happened. So it just wasn't on their radar. It isn't on... Mary Magdalene's, and sometimes I think we, we're a little bit too harsh with these people, as if if we were back there, we'd be much smarter. Um, just luck around. We're not that smart. I mean, think about it. I mean, we're just not that bright about a lot of things. You know, it's uh, about things that really matter. Uh, and so, you know, who knows what we'd have thought. If that was our culture, that we weren't really looking at one person, there really wasn't a lot of theology about a Messiah coming that would also die and rise again, even though we see it, and Jesus shows us that. And then obviously, the letters of Paul, Peter, John, and others 
the inspired word gives us what this is all about. Uh, but what about the we? Isn't that interesting? You know, you notice, and people have done this. It's like, well, you know, Mark contradicts John. It's like, no, they don't. This is all you have to do. We did this a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, we had, after Easter, we had, a, I don't know, it was like six weeks on post-mortem appearances of Jesus. Uh, so what I did, I, you know, just, again, it just, you got, it's open book. You can look at this stuff. You know, I just went through and said, well, well, is there a good way to reconcile them all? And I found like four different ways to do it. And then I came down on the one that I thought was the most probable. Because we see this, how do we know this is we? You know, it looks like, well, Mary Magdalene's the only one there, but then she says, we. Well, who's we? Because at this point, it looks like it's just her. Well, we get that from Mark 16. If you go to Mark 16, it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So Mark, through the eyes of Peter, puts these other women in there. John decides to just talk about Mary Magdalene. You know, it's okay, you can do that. I mean, just that you can think of easy examples of this. I mean, you could say, well, you know, I went to church and Jeff Sis was there. I just saw your beard, so I thought, it looks nice. Um, but, you know, it's so that people could say like 100 years from now, it's like, you know, they had that worship service on Pi Day and the only one that was there was Jeff Sis. But see how I, just because I said Jeff is here doesn't mean y'all aren't here, right? You know, I'm just focusing on him right now, and this is what's happening here. Again, you might, a skeptic might say that's not compelling to me. Well, you know what? I don't, this is a little flippant to say, but I just don't really care. This is a logical way to do it. If you don't, I mean, if you want to keep finding reasons not to believe it, I, I'm never going to satisfy you. Whether it's compelling to you, I can't change. But here is a sequence of this, and, and if we remember, we, we, we came up with 12 post-mortem resurrection, and this is the first one, but we haven't even got there yet, right? Now we just, all we have is an empty tomb. So Mary and these others come, we're focusing on Mary Magdalene, and he's going to focus on that resurrection appearance to her. Other gospel writers focus on different ones. They can do what they want. But you also get uh, that it was early while it was still dark. It's a little bit darker this morning than it was in most of the days I get up in the last you jump up an hour it, the sunset changes uh, they didn't have daylight savings time back then as far as I know uh, but when Jesus tomb was found empty that you, you, they get there they find it empty when it was early when it was still dark so just follow with me here logically so he had to rise before that right or he's hiding somewhere and I don't think that's on there so why am I doing this? Well, we, we want to see how the scripture is fulfilled, understanding it in context. Remember, the, in, in the first century Jewish way, and they do that today in Orthodox Judaism, they mark off days sunset to sunset. I don't know if you remember last week, they, you know, do you remember why they broke the legs of the crucified people? What was the reason? I mean, I did it so they wouldn't be able to breathe. That's, they wanted to kill them. But what was the underlying reason? Do you remember the Sabbath was coming. Well, we know it was the ninth hour, which it's, it's 3, 3 p.m. It's like, if we're doing it our way, I mean, they still got nine hours. You can let this guy have a lot more agony for a while. But the way they do it, they're getting close to sundown, and that's when the Sabbath starts. The Sabbath is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So it's kind of a parenthetical comment 
think about that when keeping the Sabbath. You know, none of you keep it. <laughs> Technically, it's an old covenant thing. We keep it in a different way, obviously, through Christ. So they, and they also would, would look at partial days. Partial days were seen as full days uh, in some contexts. Because Jesus rose on the third day. We, we even had, there was a group, I don't know if they're still around, um, was called Third Day. I remember listening to some of their songs. Uh, um, really good. Are they still around? Does anybody know? I need to get out more, I guess. But uh, they, uh, I keep listening to the same songs. It's like once it became like 1987, I'm like, why bother? You know. But uh, all the good things are in the 70s. And that's not true. I love a lot of contemporary stuff too. But but the third day, we have this, you know, in Luke 24, Jesus said to them, this is on the walk to Emmaus, we'll hit this a little bit harder at actual Easter time. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And nobody's walking around and saying, but Jesus, it wasn't really three days. Because they, that's the way they counted it, you know. So, you, so if you look at this, day one is 3 p.m. to sunset Friday. That's counted as day one. Now, day two is actually 24 hours. It's sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. So now we got two days in their ranking. We wouldn't do it that way, probably. And day three is sunset Saturday until he rose. So the resurrection of Jesus could have taken place any time between sunset Saturday and at the time the women witnessed the empty tomb. Any time in there. Now, you can make cases for it being closer to that time because we'll see in a little bit he's there, but... You could have left, come back, right? But that's it. All you need, that's how you get three days. If you want to get real technical about it, if you say that he rose at, you know, at 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, that would count as that third day. So if you count that up, that's only 27 and a half hours. But it's still seen as, and it's on the third day. It's not like he doesn't say after 72 hours I will rise again. That's not the way they looked at time. And again, it's just one of those things you do. It's always good to understand the culture of the literature you're reading. If you read anything, that's true. I remember reading uh, War and Peace. thought, you know, I haven't tackled that sucker. Let's give it a shot. It's actually pretty good. It's really well written. It's, but the first while I'm, I'm looking up on the Internet what the heck some of this stuff means. There's a bunch of Russians. They do weird stuff. And some of the words are like, well, I don't use those words anymore. And so it took a little while. But once you get the cadence and you start to understand, you've got to do that with any literature. Well, you certainly don't want to do it with the Bible. You can say, well, we don't, we don't count time that way. And it's like, so? We don't do a lot of things that way. It doesn't mean we, what did they do? That's, this was written in the first century to a first century audience. And nobody back then said, well, technically this isn't three days. Because the, they knew that's the way it was counted. It's just now where ignorant people bring it up because they don't want to go into the context. So, I don't know, can, we could have a Bible study about that. We could have a poll, you know, how many people think it was the first hour and all that kind of stuff. Um, because, you know, we have these sunrise services, but, you know, by sunrise, he was already gone. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having them. I'm not trying to get rid of them. You know, maybe we should do that. We should have a, uh, a service at midnight on Saturday of Holy Week. You want to do that? Looks like no, so we'll just keep with the tradition, you know. It's like we we don't know. That would be kind of saying, well, he must have rose at midnight. We don't know when he rose. Um, he fulfilled the scriptures. That's really all that matters. And I wouldn't go to the mat for any of those. Um, I, I think possibly it'd be best to just say it was probably pretty close to the time he appeared to Mary. But you know, doesn't really matter. And also note, guess who he's appearing to first? 
This is interesting. I kind of like it. Uh, in a time when women were not allowed to testify in a public assembly by law, both in Roman law and Jewish law. Isn't that interesting? The gospel states that the first witness of the resurrected Jesus was a woman. It's like Jesus doesn't seem to care about those things. I think Jesus, Yahweh, said, you know, a woman, her testimony is just as foolproof. She's my disciple. She, but, you know, he does tell her to go tell, and we'll look at that. But, uh, but remember, the first Samaritan Israelite to testify of Jesus was also a woman back in John 4. Remember this woman at the well who you all, not all of you, many people throw under the bus as this horrible person. I don't think that's who she was. I think if you read the text, she was trying to understand who Yahweh was and uh, was, went through some bad times in life. But Jesus knew she was, had some integrity, and she's the one that goes and tells her village that I found the Messiah. And Jesus thought, you know, a woman saying that was good enough. So I think we, it's interesting to see that, you know, as God says in his word, God is no respecter of persons, right? He knows, he knew that Mary, these other women, and his old uh, men disciples were worthy enough and trustworthy enough to appear to. So, so she does go and tell them. Um, Peter and John get to witness the empty tomb. This had been natural for Mary to do. They were the, the chosen disciples of Jesus. But notice she isn't thinking of resurrection. She's thinking of grave robbery for the most part. We don't know where they laid him. You know, what are they cleaning and they need it? You know, it's just kind of odd, isn't it? The stone's been rolled away. John doesn't make a big deal of that. Matthew does. Um, it's just kind of said in passing. And again, my opinion, do what you want with it. Why didn't he put it in there? Because maybe he thought you'd read Matthew. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's enough. But John doesn't go in. This is interesting. Um, you know, you, you get the little race that, you know, John wins, I know. But uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe Peter was more of a long-distance runner or something, and he got out-sprinted at the end. But uh, John doesn't go in. But one, one way to look at that, and I've seen a lot of people say this, that maybe he was just too scared to go in. And that's possible, but here's another hypothesis for you. Remember back when Peter betrays Jesus. Remember how he gets into the courtyard? It says that John, who knew the high priest, let him in. So there's, there, there, there's some first century writings, and, and again, we don't know for sure, but this is a hypothesis of why he didn't go in. If he was a priest by lineage, and, and some people are making that case, and I think it's a, a decent case. Uh, again, if God wanted us to know, he would have said it overtly. Um, John, he might have been, he would have been rendered defiled if he went in there, if there's a dead body in there. Uh, so possibly that's why he didn't go in at first. But, you know, Peter comes along, he doesn't have any lineage like that. He can go right on in. And it could be that John was just apprehensive and Peter wasn't, you know, whichever. I don't, you know, it doesn't, but I just thought I'd give you that as a possibility. Now, verse 7 is kind of interesting. Why did he tell us this? And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in place by itself. This was the way Jews buried in the first century. We found archaeological evidence of this. And so if nothing else, and I don't know why John put it in there, it's because the Spirit wanted him to, but it gives us, it's like, this is, looks historically accurate because this is what we're finding in other burials. Uh, so those uh, silly folk who try to put John into the third and fourth century, it just doesn't fit. Um, because of something like this. And sometimes it's those little things that you think, well, how important is this? But it would have been important to a first century person to say he got the same burial that Jewish should. Um, now, most likely, again, Peter 
probably told John, well, it's empty. You know, if it is that he was worried about being defiled, come on in, there's nothing here to defile you. So he, he, that may have it, or maybe he's like, don't be afraid, come on in. I don't know, it doesn't say, right? But John does look in there. Um, and it's interesting the way this is put. Um, if you have study Bibles, when you go home, you can look up what they think it means. It says, the, in the other disciple, which is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Well, obviously, there's a question being begged there. Believed what? Believed that it was empty? Uh, believed that Jesus had risen? Uh, believed that he was faster than Peter? Um, we just don't really know. I think you can make a case for, well, maybe not the last one, but the, the first two. Maybe it's trying to say that. What we do know from verse 9 is they didn't, under, if he did believe that Jesus had risen, he doesn't understand completely why yet. And, and John writes that. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from. They didn't understand what's going on here. Because you got the different hypotheses that we talked about. Here's another one. Just thought of this. Got to be careful when you think of things when you're preaching. Um, just preach, don't think. That's what they used to tell us. But I'm going to try to think. Um, maybe he thought that he was risen, but that he's already ascended. And he wasn't going to see him. And if you think about that, one of the things that Paul clearly tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, and this permeates scripture, if you want to discredit Christianity, all you have to do is disprove the resurrection. You know, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if he did not rise from the dead, then we're in our sins. Our faith is futile. And you think about it, you know, there are some people who say he rose spiritually. Well, that's easy to fake. I mean, Anybody can rise spiritually. It's all that, like all these big rabbits sitting right here in the front row, right? Nobody remembers Harvey the Rabbit other than me? Uh, all right, well, Google it. But I mean, I could tell you there's somebody sitting right there and I see him. I, I don't. It's spiritual. How do, you f how do you disprove a spiritual resurrection? You don't. But... We just sung that song, I believe, in the resurrection of the body. Why? Because his body. And wait, he's going to eat fish. He's going to get touched. Smack me here. Show that I'm really by. I'm not a ghost. You, can, you can't fake this. There's no spiritual resurrection. Well, it's got spiritual qualities, but he's bodily. But they didn't understand this yet. You know, and again, we probably wouldn't either. Um, they, maybe they were too close to him. I don't know. They wanted him to not die. I mean, heck, who wouldn't have? They didn't understand what this did for us. They didn't understand that the death was the key. You know, as Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a stumbling block today. We believe in a crucified Savior. Uh, I don't know if anybody was, any of this would have come up with this on our own. You know, if I was doing it, it'd be, you know, Arnold or Sylvester, one of those guys, not the cat, Stallone, um, you know, coming in and taking care of all these bad guys. You know, Sylvester, wouldn't, that wouldn't work. It was the cat. But, uh, but you mean, we would, we would write the story differently, right? And, but that's why it, 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 but it's so clear when we start understanding and then you go back and read, like you all read Psalm 22 last week because that was your assignment. From Isaiah 53, you see, it's in there, but it's, it just wasn't in the water then, and so people don't see it. So, 
So then, finally, we've got an empty tomb. Let's get a resurrected Jesus. But Mary, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb, and she went and she wept. She stood too, and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Kind of tells you where she's at right then. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him so that I may take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So we see here, we got Peter and John come. They kind of fall off the pages here a little bit. We get a little bit more in the synoptics. They apparently went different routes. Uh, they don't see Mary even being there. She's distraught, trying to figure out what's happened. They go back to their place. It says home, but it was just wherever they came from. Their homes are in, in, up in Galilee. She returns to the tomb and was crying, and she's overcome with grief. She's trying to, you know, it's one thing they just killed him. Remember, she was one of those that witnessed that. And now I can't even rightly mourn him because they stole him. I mean, you can just kind of get into how, they, how that she would have felt. But then she, you know, she gets what she needs. You, you think about it, it's kind of a little bit odd in the Scripture. She sees these two angels, and she just doesn't seem to be phased by it. Um, my opinion that she probably didn't realize that these were angels until they kind of talked about the different accounts that happened to each other because sometimes angels show themselves in a very brilliant way like the, the shepherds at the time of Jesus' birth and other times you don't even know they're an angel. Uh, this probably was more the second one. I mean, you know, not to be too flippant, although I'm pretty good at it, the the idea of a, a glowing, really big, strong being sitting there, you think it would make you think twice. But it didn't seem to change her demeanor at all. So, um, and, and, you know, you could say a lot about this encounter. There's a lot of what, what, what has been said about it. But this is the first recorded appearance of the resurrected Jesus. This is one of 12 that we find. Maybe there were more. We don't know. But we know there was at least 12. But verse 16 is key. And it's, uh, you can't really overstate it. It's just so cool. When he called her name, she suddenly realized who was calling her. I mean, you got to kind of think that she probably heard him say this before. And it's got such a deep theology to it, doesn't it? Isn't it just cool? I mean, it's kind of what happens when we believe. Jesus calls our name. You see that in Revelation. You know, the, you, know you get the white stone and, you know, a new name that only God knows. It's just like, what, what does that mean? It means that you're becoming a new creation. She's new creation. God knows you. You know, we worry a lot about us knowing God, and that's important. But you think about God often says, Jesus says in Matthew 7, get away from me, I never knew you. She knew Mary, he knew Mary. And he just says Mary. I just think that's so cool. Uh, some of the movies do this really well, and it's just really heart-wrenching in a good way that she finds such grief, and all he had to say was her name. You know, he, John 10, maybe in the background a little bit, my sheep know my voice. 
and I know my sheep, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And so she gets apparently what she needs, although we'll look at the kind of a little bit esoteric scripture here at the end. So he calls her by name, and she calls him by what she normally called him, Rabona, our teacher. So I think knowing that is helpful when you come into 17, because some people kind of mess up on 17. I, I don't know, I don't think it's as hard as people make it, which worries me a little bit, because when you make it easier, they're thinking, am I missing something here? I mean, to read 17 again, Jesus says to her, after he says, Mary, she says, teacher, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I ascended to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And what I think we do is we mess up on the time on this thing. Um, and we don't think about this in the context of John or even in the New Testament. I think if we do that, this really isn't that hard. Do not cling to me. Do not hold on to me. It's a, what we call, and we don't have this much, but it's a Greek middle voice. It just means that she was doing this for her own benefit, which is not bad. I mean, we all grabbed onto Jesus for our own benefit, right? But this is, she's holding on to him. What is he getting at? Don't do that. It seems weird. It's like, you know, I thought he was, we were supposed to follow Jesus and believe in him and hold on to him, and he holds on to us, and that's what the Christian life is like. But this is historic. What's he talking about? Don't cling to me. Well, I, I think the most natural way to interpret this is that he was, again, teaching her. He was teaching her something about what he came for and who he is. First of all, you know, do not focus, focus on my resurrected self. I will only be with you in this form for a short time. He's only around for, you know, a few weeks. He, you know, we think around 40 days, you know. It's always 40, 12, 7, or 3, it seems like. And I think he's saying, after I'm ascended, I will, I'm going to ascend to my Father. My work will be complete, and then you can hold on to me through the Holy Spirit and my word. Why do I think? It's because he already taught him this. This is the plan, and it's going to be better for you. Remember back in the upper room, chapter 16, he says this to him. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And we talked about how that had to, how could that be better? And we talked about how if you, if you had an opportunity to be with Jesus, would you take it? Would you like to go back in time and be there when he, would you want to be at the Last Supper? Do you want to be at the crucifixion or the resurrection? I would assume most of us would pick C there. Um, but Jesus is almost saying, well, it's, it's better for you better for all of us that we have what we have. Because not only do we know what Jesus did, we don't have to be there to see it. We just believe and trust in the words that, he, that God's revealed to us. And we know why it happened. And we have the Spirit to guide and direct us. And the completed apostolic tradition, the New Testament. This is better. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will return him, send him to you. So this is where we have the, the Holy Spirit being the important thing. Right now, that hasn't happened. When does that happen? In power. That happens after the ascension. And now read this again. Do not cling to me. Do not cling to this resurrected me. I don't want to be here that long. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, which is going to happen in about 40 days. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. I think he's saying that something better is coming. My resurrection, my crucifixion, my ascension is all going to make sense when the Spirit comes and gives those people, carries them along and gives us the New Testament and into our hearts to help us understand this is going to be much better. So don't cling to this part of me, which would have been easier for her, right? Don't go away. You already went away once. Let's not do it twice. And then this my father and your father. It's an interesting way that's worded, isn't it? I think it emphasizes that because of her faith in Jesus, she could call God Father. That's what the Bible always says. In the normal course of life, you have no business calling God Father. But because of her relationship with Jesus, you can do that. But our relationship with, with the Father is different than Jesus. We're not the only son. He is. But you can go all the way back into verse 12 of the first chapter, I think that kind of lands the plane here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God and the ability to call God Father. I think that's what's going on. I don't think it's that complicated. That two things, there's still some things that have to happen before the full gospel gets understood and out there. And because of me, now you don't just call God Yahweh. You can actually say our Father. And remember, we talked about the disciples' prayer, that our is very important. We can only say our because Jesus is included. If you don't believe in Jesus, you shouldn't be saying Father because he's not your Father. He's creator, but he's not your Father. That, becomes, that comes when we have a relationship with the Son. That's clear in the Gospels. It's certainly clear. So this is cool. It's a fun. I mean, it's so neat. You know, you get so despaired at Good Friday time, and then you get Easter, and it's it's really it's really neat. It's like movies. You know, I always like a movie that ends well instead of one that leaves you hanging and ends poorly. Um, if I want things bad, I can just read the paper. I want to go to a movie to feel better, right? But Jesus doesn't stay dead long. You know, somewhere between 27 and hours and in, in, the, in the beginning of Sunday for them. It's fulfilling his own predictions, which he, all his promises were there. But as we go forward, God willing, we'll go next week and we'll look at some more resurrection appearances of Jesus to his closest followers. Let us pray. Father, we know this was your plan all along to send your son for him to teach, to live a life that was perfect, to give us exactly what we need, to then have him crucified so that we have a substitute for us and we get his righteousness, and then to resurrect him, to vindicate that and show the power that you have over death and ultimately having him ascend and giving us the spirit. May we remember all of us who are followers of Christ, that we have the Spirit. It's even better than it was for them because we have the full fullness of his gospel through your word, through your spirit. Amen.